Thank you very much. Good to see you here in the building. Good to be with you online as well. Well, today we're starting a new series, uh, which is entitled How to Take Care of Your Heart. And we're going to be looking at things such as guarding your heart and don't lose heart and pursuing God's heart. And this morning, I'm going to give you a bit of an introduction to this subject and also speak about part one, search my heart. God, search my heart. So we're going to read just a couple of verses at the end of Psalm 139. Verses 23 and 24, David is the one who's written this psalm, who wrote many psalms, songs to God in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And he says, at the end of this psalm, he says this, Search me, God, and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, in 2013, medical researchers developed a vest, and it had 250 numbered and connected electrodes on it. And they could put this vest on a patient, and with certain heart concerns, they could diagnose what was wrong. And it was a huge advantage because it meant they didn't have to go through invasive procedures in order to find out what was going on. And the information they got from that vest, combined with a CT scan, meant that they could make a diagnosis of some of the stuff that was going on in some people's hearts. Now, at the end of Psalm 139, David, in a sense is praying something similar regarding his heart. By which, of course, he doesn't mean his physical heart. He means what the Bible consistently means by the term heart. Occasionally the physical heart, but much more regularly, it means by heart things like this. It means the core of a person's being. It means the seat of one's emotions. One's thoughts, desires, will, one's innermost being. That's what the Bible consistently means by heart. Jesus spoke about heart 49 times. That's what he meant. What's going on deep inside a person and motivating them? That's, of course, how we use the term heart these days. We say things like this, someone has a generous heart, or someone is wild at heart. Someone's light-hearted or hard-hearted. Someone's got a heavy heart or a broken heart or I love you with all my heart. In none of those cases does the person mean that little piece of pounding flesh inside my chest. They mean their whole being, their will and desire and thoughts and so on. One writer summed it up like this. He said, the heart in biblical terms is not part of us, but the center of who we are. It is our motivation headquarters. The heart drives all we do. It is who we are. And I think you could describe life, or you could describe life in many ways. One way to describe life would be to say that life is one long test of your heart. Don't you think sometimes? It starts early. It doesn't take long when you're a child with your family, with your friends, perhaps at school, for your heart to be tested. I I remember myself when I was at primary school being bullied a lot. 
I used to have a terrible stutter in my speech and I was bullied a lot. And you think that the effect on your innermost being, your emotions, your thoughts, what you feel about life and yourself, what happens to your heart can be really tricky. And then you hit the teenage years. And oh my goodness, <laughs> your heart gets a challenge there, doesn't it? And it's possible that through this recent COVID-induced, changed, restricted year, it's possible that our hearts have been affected, perhaps even damaged. Perhaps, I wonder if your heart's become bitter this year. I wonder if it's become fearful, perhaps lazy, perhaps skeptical, perhaps really frustrated, perhaps really angry. Our hearts are affected every single day and certain circumstances press us even harder. So as we start this series today on how to take care of your heart, we're going to make David's prayer our prayer. We're going to say, God, search my heart. Put your diagnostic vest on me to test my innermost being to reveal my motives, to show up what really drives me and who I really am. So whether you're at home, watching online or in the building here, I'm going to give you a few seconds just to open your heart to God before we pray David's prayer for ourselves together. Why don't you say with me David's prayer? Search me, God, and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, the human heart is a tender thing. It's a delicate thing. And because of that, it has the capacity for love and generosity, gentleness, kindness, and so on. But being very tender, the human heart can be easily damaged by the tough things of life too. Hurt, loss, change, disappointment, ill health, relationship challenges, unanswered prayer, trauma, and many, many more. Heart challenge is everywhere. Just this week, talking to people, I've had a few examples I can give you. I spoke to one man who's just lost his wife after a long and desperate illness. Chatting with him about her and about how he was and planning the funeral. That's a profound test on his heart. Talking to one of the church staff this week who's been having a particularly difficult time in the last couple of months. Her heart has been severely challenged. A phone call this week with someone who, admitted, who admits themselves to have a very anxious heart. Chatting to a couple last Sunday morning who've had huge challenges in their family which affect the heart. And if you don't take time to attend to the impact of those, th those things on your heart, to acknowledge them, to work through them, to find ways to move on from them, they won't just disappear. 
They'll do one of three things, probably. They'll end up as like a layer of fragility. Your heart's been damaged and hurt, and you, you just get fragile. Or your heart gets damaged, hurt, and you create a, a hard layer, a layer of callous to keep any future hurt away. Or, quite possibly, it waits like a time bomb waiting to go off. In 2002, which I can't believe now is 19 years ago, in 2002, I had an absolute and complete physical and emotional crash. It was an absolutely hideous experience, I promise you. I was off work. I was leading a church. I used to be at the front, obviously, and then I would skulk in at the back after this crash. And I had a whole year off work. It was humiliating and deeply challenging. What caused it? A whole mix of things, a whole environmental stuff, a whole load of things were going on. But partly, I can confess to you, it was this. It was the result partly of not looking after my heart, of unprocessed pain, of not dealing with frustrations and things that had got under my skin. But it taught me a lot about my heart. It taught me a lot about what was really in me. Sometimes it's not until you're squeezed, is it, that you find out what comes pouring out. And it's taught me as well how to do much better at trying to keep my heart in a healthy state. But heart work is hard work. And it's humble work. And most of us have a tendency to avoid it. And if you're male, that tendency is almost a certainty, avoiding heart work. Now, I can, I can think of a variety of reasons why all of us might feel a bit uneasy about the thought of engaging in heart work. I'm going to give you a few. See which of these you recognize in yourself, if any. Perhaps temperament. I'm just not that sort of person. I don't go inside. I don't talk about that sort of thing. Here's a word to men from a woman in this regard. A woman writes, as I watch men in action, I'm impressed with how... She's not impressed at all. I'm impressed, she says, with how few of them ever seem to stop and listen to themselves. Women learn to listen to themselves at an early age. They listen to their bodies, for example. They know exactly where they are in their monthly cycles, and they know how much this is going to affect the way they think and see things. And so we learn to listen to every part of ourselves. But men seem to be another story. I get the impression that they resist listening to anything that comes from within. They talk about playing through the pain and they seem to think that emotions should never play a role in determining how they're going to function. They avoid the messages of fatigue and wave off the need to deal with things like sadness or fear. My impression is that they get themselves into lots of trouble that they could easily have avoided if they'd learned to listen more. <laughs> That's a lady clapping, I assume, somewhere near the back. Now, men, don't worry, we're not meant to be women. That's not the point, but there is a point. I wonder, maybe you're a man who needs to avoid some trouble by listening to where you are. 
Maybe your family model or upbringing makes you uneasy with such thoughts as, God, search my heart. Maybe you were brought up in a setting where emotions weren't shown in a godly way. They weren't talked about. You had no training on how to deal with anger or disappointment or so on. Just man up. Just get over it. Very unhelpful phrases. Maybe you've got theological objections to this, of which there could be a bunch. One, one American writer and pastor wrote this of how he tells in his book of how his wife quit on him and his church. She said, I have tried my best to speak to you about what's going on. This is completely unsustainable. I quit. And they went to counseling, and at counseling, when asked about how his family upbringing had impacted on him, he defensively said to his wife, Jerry, we don't need to talk about the past. I'm a new creation in Jesus. To which she replied, no, you're not. I live with you. There's a lot of your family in this room. (laughs) Or maybe you think, isn't all this talk of self just selfish? Well, that same writer says this, I have become clear about at least one thing. Self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer to others. Anytime we can listen to true self, our hearts, and give it the care it requires, We do so not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. Maybe you're just lazy. That sounds like hard work, heart's work. Give that a miss. Or maybe fear. What might I find? If I say, God, search my heart, what might I find? What might he find? Or I know what's in there, and I don't want to look. And for you, David's prayer would be very scary. So what about David's prayer? In verses 23 and 24 here, what about it? Well, in one sense, I think it contains a strange pair of requests. A strange pair of requests. He says, search me, God, and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You might say, well, why do you think that's strange? Well, It's not strange, but it could sound strange because earlier in the psalm, David has acknowledged that God already knows his heart, that God, in fact, knows every single thing about him, that he can't possibly escape from God, that God knows where he is, God knows what he thinks before he says it, God knows where he is, God's before him, behind him, beside him, above him, below him. He can't escape from God. In one sense, God, you know every thought I've ever had. He doesn't need to ask God to know his thoughts. So what does David mean when he asks God to search him and test him and know his heart and his anxious thoughts? I think he means this. And this takes courage. I think he means this. He's saying something like this. God, show me my own heart. Put your diagnostic vest on me and help me to know what's truly in there. To see what's going on in my motivation headquarters I wonder when you last prayed something like that or ever spoke to God like that it's a very humble posture and it's a posture you can only adopt if you know God is entirely good 
and is entirely for you, even though he knows you completely, and that he will never reject you. That you are fully known and fully loved. To adapt something that Tim Keller wrote, I'd put it like this. To be loved and not known is superficial. To be known and not loved or rejected is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is the glorious privilege of God's children. See, David can pray what he prays in verses 23 and 24 because he is totally secure with God. Totally and absolutely secure with God. That's what the rest of Psalm 139 has been about. God, you know me, but you love me. God, you made me in my mother's womb, and you love me. My days have been planned by you, and you love me. He's totally secure. And so before his father, God, he can say, search me. I know you know it anyway. And show me what's there because I know you will still love me whatever you reveal to me. In order to be willing to open my heart to him, I need to know that his heart is open to me. You know the story of the prodigal son Many of us know that story. This father has two sons. The younger one wishes that he was dead so that he could have his inheritance. And he runs away, squanders it all. And in desperation one day, gets to the point where he thinks, I've got nothing to lose. I'll go back to my father. He'll hate me. He'll reject me, particularly in a culture like that. I've dishonored his name. But I'll go back. I've got nothing to lose. And he goes back. He must be terrified. He knows the worst is coming. But the father sees him in the distance and against all cultural norms, hitches up his robe and runs and greets his son and wraps his arms around him and kisses him on the cheek and says, get that fatted calf, the one we were keeping for the most special occasion. Get the robe, put it back on him. My son's alive. He's back. But you know, the father still has his arms open to you if you're one of his children. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more because he loves you perfectly. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you less. You might say, but you, Tim, you don't know what I've done. His arms are open. Tim, you don't know where I've been. His arms are open. You don't know what I've been up to this week. His arms are still open. Dane Ortland wrote of God being rich in mercy. And he said this. I wonder if you can dare to believe this. The things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. You can open your heart to him. He will not turn you away. But you might have a final question, which David answers. Why pray this stuff? Why say to God, search me, know me, test me, my anxious thoughts? Why? Sounds like this could be tough. 
even accompanied by testing, as David acknowledges. Well, David explains why he's asking this. In the last verse, verse 24, he says, See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, his desire, David's desire, is to be more fully aligned with God, to be living a life that is more pleasing to him, that is more enjoying God, that has more of God at the center. Which means a couple of things in that verse. Negatively, if you like, it means verse 24a, removing in him anything that offends God. I think the true child of God wants that. They want to say, Lord, Lead me away from stuff that offends you. Lead me to please you more. Which is why he asks God, verse 23, to test him. Which means to examine him, to try him, to scrutinize him. It's also a word used in the Old Testament of refining metals. Gold or silver, you do, you heat it. You turn the heat right up on it. And you... It sort of gets the impurities out of it. And what you're left with is something far more pure. David is saying, purify me so that I may live more in accordance with you and delight in you all the more fully. And positively, verse 24b, to lead him in ways that are consistent with God's ways. So he says, lead me in the way everlasting. This is the Christian way, isn't it? Lord, take out of me those things that displease you and build into me those things that do please you and that bring me life and that his glory will be seen in that and your good will be done in that. Because as the rubbish is burnt out of your life, that's good to you. And as you walk in the ways of God's ways, that's good to you and to his glory too. So in a minute, we're going to pray verses 23 and 24 again. But I want to ask you this. Are you humble enough to pray it? And are you courageous enough to pray it? And are you sure enough of his love to be able to pray it? And if you're not sure, remember, the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. I think over this series... That for God's glory and your good and the good of the world around, that God wants to put his diagnostic vest on you and search your heart. Can I just encourage you? Don't ignore what shows up. Speak to God about it and find a friend who you also know loves you enough not to reject you whatever you disclose. So let's take 30 seconds and just be still before we pray this prayer of David's again as we start this series. Why don't you just say something like, God, I am open to you. Change and touch my heart. But if you can, let's stand together. If we're in the room here, this prayer should come up on the screen again. I'm going to pray and then we'll all pray.
Holy Spirit, we thank you for communicating to us the love of God for us. Thank you there is nothing we can do to make you love us less and nothing we can do to make you love us more because you love us perfectly. And that having loved us while we were sinners, you certainly won't reject us now that we're your children. And Lord, for your glory and for our good and for the good of everyone who interacts with us, Lord, we want to humbly, courageously, submissively pray these words of David. Let's say them together. Say it for yourself. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, have your way in us. Purify your people. And for anyone watching who doesn't know you yet, may they know that you are a God with arms open. Always. Amen.